reading. Romans chapter 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, everybody say then. So there's a step one and a step two. Let me read it again. Step one, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Last week, we started talking about something that maybe is a little bit complicated because it's a word we're not familiar with, and that's continuity of narrative. Now, me saying it to you gets it in and it flies right back out again, but you saying it back to me does just about the same, but it's more fun for me, okay? So say that word right there. It's called continuity of, say it again, it's called continuity, and what it means is this. Our brain needs to see that, that it all made sense, that every ingredient in the cookies of our life had a place, had a purpose. Uh, Romans 8.28 talks about all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, called according to his purposes. And, and you have to understand that all things aren't good. If you look at a chocolate chip cookie recipe, not all things taste good. If ours are blindfold you and put all the, the, all the ingredients out with like numbers on and you like 12 ingredients, you say, uh, number two, and I go, okay, number two, and I grab the chocolate chips, you go, man, the ingredients of chocolate chip cookies are awesome. They all work together for the good. You say, uh, number six, and number six, a tablespoonful of lard? You'd be like, man, cookies are awful. They're ter-. And then you say, I, I, item number four, let me get the taste out of my mouth, and it's a, it's a spoonful of flour or baking powder or baking soda or salt. How many of you guys know most of the stuff in chocolate chip cookies tastes terrible? It's the chocolate chips and the brown sugar. Everything else is awful. But all things work together to create something wonderful. So what he's, what he's saying here in, in this phrase that science has now discovered, although we've had it for thousands of years, is that Jesus doesn't need to start somewhere. He needs to start from the very beginning. And when we talk about salvation, we talk about from the foundations of the world. We talk about the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world, the Son of God, that God so loved you that he sent Jesus from the foundations of the world. Like our entire story, I'm not saying God put you everything through everything you've been through. I'm, I, don't, I can't answer the question for you, where was God when you went through your hard times? But I'm telling you this, our God has the ability to redeem everything that's ever happened and put it into something wonderful that's out in front of you. Do not deny um, the glory of God in your story. So the continuity of narrative, when God designed our, our physiological brains, he designed them so we would want what is true. We would want what's superior. It has, to, it has to line up. And literally, if you say, well, I started going to church when I was 22, but it never dealt with what happened in the first 21 years of my life. That's because going to church doesn't save you. I started dating this girl, and, and you know, she was a Christian, and at 50, I started going with this, you know, this lady friend that I had, and, and at 50, I started kind of getting religious, and you know, I read my Bible, I, but for some reason, it didn't change the first 49 years. There's only one thing that can change the first 49 years, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And what's neat about the blood of Jesus Christ, it doesn't just reach back to when you were born. It reaches back to your daddy's 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 daddy, breaking generational curses, stuff that took the devil a thousand years to get in your DNA, Jesus takes out in an instant of grace. It's beautiful, right? Continuity of narrative. So when the pieces of our story don't fit together and we have no conclusions, we have a problem. That problem is called, um, sorry, it's called cognitive dissonance. All right, another big set of words. You guys ready? We're going to be scientists today. Can we do this? Say it with me. Are you ready? It's called? I love it. Cognitive dissonance. It, in other words, it's, it's Dame Bramage. Cognitive dissonance is when our brain looks at something and says, I don't know much, but I know that's not right. Can I just, is this still playing? Is this still turned on? Cognitive dissonance is when I take, what's the next note? So this is with me. Uh, come on, give me a, uh, come on, uh, what's the next one? How do you know that? 
How do you know that? And when you begin to take the elements of this and you begin to kind of put them together, somehow we know that's pleasant, right? There's something about it that's rhythmic. There's something about it that's, that's mathematical. But if we take this and we say we're going to... Actually, it works too. That works too. All right. So how do you know that that's wrong? You know it's wrong because something inside of you said, bum, bum, bum. the C chord, bah, right? We know this because something inside of us that God program understands what's right and what's wrong. Well, in the same way, musically, we understand that C needs to be met with E, needs to be met with G to form a C chord. There's something inside of us that says, you know, God is love, and love is blind, and Stevie Wonder is God. Wait, no, wait, back up. God is love. And love is unconditional, but it doesn't mean everybody gets to go to heaven because there's a choice that needs to be made. And you go, yeah, that's it, that's it. And so somehow in our heads, we know that two plus two is not nine. This is why algebra is evil. Two plus X is not four. Two plus two is four. Sorry, just as a personal thing there, you know. So we talked about continuity of narrative in our past. As we look back to where we've been, it's nice to know that God redeemed the whole story. Today, I want to take it a step farther and talk about continuity of narrative as we look forward. I think that the thing that we struggle with more than has God dealt with our past is what's God going to do with us in the future? When we look to the future, we talk about anxiety. We talk about fear. Uh, last week, I did something. I said, let's just, let's just go after one. Let's, let's take a thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. And in both services, I said, just, just name one. In both services, immediately, multiple people said, anxiety. I went, huh, you're, you're telling me something. So that song comes up. I'm not sure it was in response to that, but Pastor Kyle, what a great song. And I watched you guys kind of go from worshiping, I'm worshiping to I'm engaging. I'm getting something. Something's being torn down during that song. We, we have to understand, guys, that continuity of narrative in our past, sometimes we have to remember there's a continuity of narrative in our future as well. And the mind frame, the way we frame what's in front of us, who's bigger behind us? Well, we know that. It's Jesus. Or we don't know that, and we're in trouble. If we know that it's Jesus, we know it's behind us, somehow we've got to pivot that towards what's in front of us. So let's take a look at looking forward. There's only two real narratives to look forward to in your life. There's, there's two that are real, and there's one that's false. The so number one is this. There's grace. How many guys know the grace of God? As I'm looking forward, if I'm looking forward into a God that has no grace, I'm looking into no future. Amen. Adoption, Romans chapter 8, being a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, being born again, John 3, 3, no condemnation, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the law of the spirit of life, Romans chapter 8, verse 2, the, the gift of God, uh, Romans 6, 23, and in the continual tense, if we're looking forward to the future, I'm looking forward to a future that's full of grace, I'm looking forward to a future that, of me enjoying being a new creation, walking in this newness of being born again with no condemnation, the law of the spirit of life, setting me free from the law of sin and death. I've, I've got this destiny that I'm excited about tomorrow. How many guys, when you were little, you woke up every morning saying, yes, it's morning, and now you go to bed that way? Right? Yes, it's time to just unplug from everything. There's something about, listen, the reality of this world does morph our soul until we're compressed. We're, 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 we're conformed to the pattern of this world. Jesus says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's an expectation about tomorrow that's important. The second real narrative we have to be aware of is if I don't have the first one, I do have the second one. There is condemnation. 
There's nothing to resolve my guilt, nothing to take away my sin, nothing to resolve my past. I, my expectation of tomorrow is, is, is an imminent form of judgment. The day that I'm caught, the day they figure out I lied, the day she catches me, the day he walks out on me, the, the day that I stand before God, I'm toast. How many of you guys know those are the only two biblical narratives for your future? But this is what we do. Watch this. We try to combine the two into the drum cage for those of you sitting over here that can't see it. But it says this, an attempt to blend the two true narratives, one and two, where we attempt to combine God's insufficient grace. Let me ask you, is God's grace insufficient? But we, we, we think that it is, right? So it's insufficient grace with our good works. How many of you guys know our good works are as filthy rags? So insufficient grace doesn't exist. Neither do our good works to manufacture our own salvation, which must be Latin for salvation. You hear what I'm saying? Guys, listen to me. The, third, the first one's true. The second one can be true as well. But the third one is impossible. But isn't that what religion tries to do? Isn't that what, with all the, the requirements of the law, isn't that what we try? Like, if I could just be good enough. If I were to ask you, what does God look like? You'd tell me one of four things. You, you, would, you would understand who he is, or you'd have misunderstandings. But basically, and we'll talk about it on Easter, there's, there's three things that you see that we think God is. We, we think that he is, he's this wall that we have to somehow get on the other side. He, like, he exists over there, and there's a wall between us, and he is the boundary between our hearts and his. Or we think he, he's this endless flight of stairs of good works. I just got to be better. I just got to get better. I just got to do better. You know, are, are you going to heaven or hell? The average American says, I'm going to heaven. You say, why do you believe that you're going to heaven? And they say, what? Because I'm a good person, right? I voted Republican. I voted Democrat. I cheer for U of M. I, whatever the reasons are, I'm a good person because I'm a socialist. I'm a good person because I feel the burn every November. I, you know what I mean? That was a Bernie Sanders joke. Nobody's getting it anymore. You see that irrelevant? They feel the burn jokes aren't even funny anymore? <laughs> Praise God. Anyway, we try to blend these things, and so we've got a wall. We've got a set of stairs. We've got a big pile of garbage. All God sees when he looks at me is a big pile of garbage. Can I tell you he's not a wall, and the stairs are irrelevant, and he's dealt with your garbage? What he is, is he's a door that when you walk through it, you'll find a kingdom on the other side and it's king waiting for you. We'll talk about more on Easter. But it, there's these things. This is who God is. Listen, God is not a wall. He's not at stairs. He's not looking at your trash. He's opened a way for you to know who the Father is and to come home from the foundations of the world. So as we look forward to the future and we see this third one, which a lot of us struggle with, a lot of people, you know, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. Even people in the church, you know, why do you deserve to go to heaven? Well, I deserve to go to heaven because I'm better than the guy that doesn't deserve to go to heaven. Like, stop, stop, stop. Number one is true. Number two is true. Number three is not true. You choose one or two. But if you choose number three, you're going to come into contact with something called cognitive dissonance. No matter how hard I try, something in my brain goes, bum, bum, huh? You know, one two, frog, blue, green, Ralph, like, like it, the one doesn't fit, and when you say, I'm going to be good enough, and God's grace is insufficient, and we begin to try to earn what is only received as a gift, we'll find ourselves going, something just doesn't feel right, I've watched people struggle for salvation they received 20 years ago, I've watched people work for something they could have been living from for a long time because they just didn't realize there was a third one. So let's ask two questions today. Number, question number one, how do we live in the true narrative free from cognitive dissonance? And how do we continually grow in our faith in God and our ability to do what Jesus did? How many of you guys know we didn't get saved to be polite? We got saved to be dangerous. 
We got saved to wage war on this world, light coming, sword of the spirit, battle armament. We are to be taking ground for the king. Come on, somebody say amen. So if we're all focused on how, how long our tunic is and whether or not our belt is shiny for inspection, come on, Jesus isn't coming back to inspect our uniform. He's coming back to reward us for what we did with what he gave us. We should be doing something. Come on, somebody say amen. Christianity is not a spectator sport where the most moral person wins. The most moral person is Jesus, and he grants his victory to all who believe. So we are tied for holiness in the eyes of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, not by our own works. So let's, let's just put this all together, um, and this is how we do it. We, we put our faith in the Word of God and its author. And again, we come to the same place I feel like I come to so often as a pastor where I put that on the screen, and everybody goes, oh, we should read the Bible and believe it. What a great revelation. Why didn't someone tell me this when I was a child in Sunday school with a flannel graph over and over and over again in a basement of a cold church that smells like grandma's feet <laughs> on a cold metal chair? Come on, how many of you guys were there? Right? Why did someone tell Well, we've been telling everybody this, but here's the thing. We didn't understand. We don't understand. Some of us still to this day that that is a pathway to a different life. Knowing it and believing it, having it in your head and living it out of your heart are two completely separate things. In order to have continuity of narrative in our past and our future, we have to believe, we have to accept this true, what the Bible teaches about who God is, about who we are to God, and what God's plan is for our lives. So let me, let me just show you what this looks like. James chapter 1, verse 22. Open your Bibles there. This is James. It's kind of a New Testament Proverbs, if you will, like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. James is a collection of wise and insightful spiritual sayings and truths inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this is what James says. He goes, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How many of you guys know that's a problem? Like that's a that's a bad problem, right? But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So let's break this down, and we'll be done. You guys doing all right? My clock says I got 10 minutes. What's your clock say? My external clock says 10. What's your internal clock telling you? Good. All right. Bob laughed. He's still here. Good. Let's move on. Um, we need to hear the word. Now, and, and it says there, you know, we need to listen to the word. Now, let me just say this to you. Again, is there a revelation here? There, there is if you understand what I'm saying. There's not if you think I'm saying what you've heard a thousand times. Every person in this room, because of your brain physiology, because of the promises of God, because of the way you were designed to live, because of cognitive dissonance, because of continuation of narrative, all this continuity of narrative, the Bible is not just an assignment like push-ups. The Bible is not just a discipline like broccoli. The Bible literally is the thing you were created to believe. And unless you believe it, your brain continues to search for what it thinks is true. We, we're drawn to stories that resolve so beautifully in a half an hour. We're, we're drawn to stories that are resolved so beautifully within a season of half hours. We're drawn to books and to novels and Hallmark channels and movies. And we know that Rocky's going to win in the end. We know that Creed's going to win in the end. We, we know that everybody, Rocky Part 19, Rocky's going to win in the end. We know this because we, we, want, we want the satisfaction of a concluded story where the good guy wins. Understand this, guys. That's your soul telling you what your spirit already knows, and that is we need to have an ongoing revelation of who Jesus is. The greatest truth is not who beat up Rocky Balboa or who didn't get beat up by Rocky Balboa. The greatest truth is this, Jesus Christ and his word 
you will know the truth and what's going to happen. Come on, the truth will it'll set you free, but it'll keep you free too. It'll invite the Spirit into your life. You'll create an environment where the Holy Spirit moves and is welcome. We are so busy not doing the don'ts, we've forgotten all the beauty of the promises of the do's. We've got to listen to the Word. Listen, I am here to tell you for the thousandth time because maybe one of these times you'll get it. You've got to open up that book every day and you've got to read it until God speaks to you. If it takes an hour, read for an hour. If it takes a minute, read for a minute. If it's one word that God stops you on, you have to meditate on that word. You would be better meditating on one word in Holy Scripture than reading the entire Bible as if it were a homework assignment for social studies. Let God have your time and listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to the word. But James says, don't merely listen to the word. There's another thing. We've got to wrestle with the word. The one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Intently. That word intently is interesting. I was looking it up, and it, it's only used about five other times in the New Testament. And, and the other, like, four of the five times that it's used, it has to do with, with Mary or Peter coming to the, the empty tomb of Jesus and looking within. It means to, it needs to bend in to, to give your, your focus to, you know, like if you saw something and you weren't sure if it was a $20 bill or a counterfeit or a, but something of great value, you're looking, is, that, is that what I think it is? Is that a gold ring sticking out of the sand? Is that, and what was happening is the other four of the five times where that word is used, people are looking into an empty tomb, and what they're going to find is one of two things. They're going to find a dead man that smells, has been beaten to death, been crucified. They're going to find that nothing is impossible from this day forward. The two narratives. They're looking into the tomb. They're They're looking into it, and what they're going to see is the impossible happened or everything remains the same. I'm telling you, when you look at the Bible, you don't need to look contently. Oh, let me just say it again louder. Do not look at the Bible contently. Look at the Bible intently. The intentional I'm looking for, the intentional I'm screening out, the intentional my focus, my distractions, I am right here, right now. God, speak to your servant. I'm listening. Look intently. Those who look contently, I just enjoy reading my Bible in the morning. I get a cup of coffee. I find a verse that tickles my fancy. I mean, that's better than nothing. And I'm sure that God likes to have coffee with you. I mean, he has coffee with me. I have coffee with him. I mean, there's a difference between reading contently because you enjoy reading and reading intently because you're looking for God's voice. Man's not going to live by bread alone, guys, but by every word, every rhema that God breathes on us. We need the instructions of the Holy Spirit. We need God to give us direction. We need God to confront us. Um, we wrestle with. Don't look contently, look intently. And what I mean by wrestle is once you see God say, here, here you are, and here's my word, there's, there's a cognitive dissonance. Does that make sense? Have you ever read the Bible and said, I'm not living that? Let me ask you another question. Have you ever read the Bible? Because really, one question is the same as the other. When I read Scripture and it says, forgive as you've been forgiven, like that's a sweet thing to say. Isn't that nice? Isn't that something to, you know what I mean? Don't you want that? But unless you wrestle with it and lose to it, unless, unless like Jacob wrestling with an angel where your hip gets dislocated and you walk with a different limp for the rest of your life because you've wrestled with God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Until you let that have the final say and you think about it and you wrestle with it and you can even say to God, I'm not sure I even understand that. I'm not even sure I believe that. I'm not even sure, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to wrestle with it until one of us wins. And I predict that the winner will probably not be you, as it has probably not been me. If I win in a wrestling match with God, I lose. If I lose in a wrestling match with God, I win. I'm here to tell you, when God confronts something in your life, and I want you to hear me, because some of the greatest mistakes you're ever going to make is right after five statements that says there's nothing wrong with. 
There's nothing wrong with it. We're just friends. There's nothing wrong with having, nothing wrong with living together. Nothing wrong. We're going to get married someday. There's nothing wrong. We love each other. Listen, the worst things we do are after five times of saying there's nothing wrong with it. Come on, somebody say amen. You're like in church going, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, but you know someone. Oh, good thing they're here to hear that today because they really need that truth, boy. Bless God, I'm holy. Ask me, my new book, Humility and How I Achieved It. Four easy steps. Wrestle with it. Like, I would rather, I would rather wrestle with God. I don't know about you, but I love to wrestle. I don't mean like if you're a wrestler, come wrestle. That's not what I mean. My love language is touch. My grandson, is a, he's not a wrestler. He's a wrestler. He's 15 months old, and he's a wrestler. When, when, when we get into the same room together, it is on just like Donkey Kong. It, it is, he's learning to jump off of things onto Grandpa. Doesn't have a point yet, but he knows how to jump off of things onto Grandpa, right? The other night, Gammy, you know, Dina's, is, the grandma name is Gammy, and I'm whatever he decides to call me. Yo, I'm like, I'm yo, you know? Uh, they, they got this thing where he would dive off the couch, she would catch him and throw him up in the air and come back and throw him on the couch. He'd roll and he'd giggle and he'd get back up and do it again, again, you know, and he'd jump back off again. I, listen, when I'm talking about wrestling with God, I don't mean like, okay, all right, he's a bully and I have to submit. No, like there's something wonderful about just touching him, about just, just feeling a strength and engagement, about, about asking, is that really true? And asking him that question, not, I, I hate to offend God. I'm questioning his word. I'm going to go to hell for this. Gee, I hope purgatory's real. So I got time to figure this out. No, seriously, just, just wrestle with the Word of God because you're better off wrestling with God than ignoring Him. <laughs> I think you'd rather wrestle. I know I'd rather wrestle. I'd, I want to be engaged, right? So we wrestle with the Word of God. Then we meditate on the Word. Now, once we've wrestled with it, you know, now we continue to do it. Now forgetting what we've heard. There, there's an ongoing process where you're going to, you're going to, this is my new reality. Like, this is truer. This is the dum, bum, bum. This is the missing piece. This is why my marriage. This is why we're arguing. This is why our finances. This is why, and I've, I've come to, I'm in faith. I'm embracing it. I'm meditating on it. I don't want to just know it. I want to know it. I want it to be a part of me. Now, we talked about taking thoughts captive. It's in Corinthians chapter 3, what, verses 5 and, and uh, 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, taking every thought captive, making obedient to Christ. We talked about it two, three weeks ago. If you don't know what I'm talking about, understand this. You can literally erase the physiology of your brain that was negatively set up to believe it was not true. When a superior reality comes, you can literally take that thought as if you're a second person. You can take a look at what is inferior, put it next to what's superior, make a decision, and by dwelling on what is true, this will literally fade into heat energy in your body, and a new neuron path will grow, and this becomes physiologically true as a reflex. Physiologically true as an assumption. Physiologically true that as the wind blows through the trees of your neuron pass, all the stimuli comes, it's going to go across what is true rather than thoughts that have raised themselves up against the knowledge of God. Are you still here? Come on. Pastor Jason did a great job yesterday, men's breakfast. We were uh, hanging out, and he really broke down Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And, you know, blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the way of the sinful or sit in the seat of the scornful or, you know, or what was it? Uh, yeah. Was it something about walking and scornful and all that kind of stuff? That, that part I didn't get. I got it, but I just don't remember it. And then he goes, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates. Everybody say meditates. Day and night, man. Day and night, night and day is what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about Matlock. I'm not thinking about who said what that made me angry. I'm thinking about God and his word, God and his word, God and his word. And he's going to be like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither, who yields fruit in season, and everything he does will prosper. How many guys want God to bless what you're doing? 
Because what we're doing needs to be aligned with what he's doing. Matter of fact, in the end, let's just do what he does. Because we know that what he does is blessed. The word of God tells us what he does. Next one. We become the substance of the word. Remember in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, uh, the word was with God and the word was God. I think it's about verse 8. It says, then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, and, and please hear me, I, I am taking a slight theological liberty, but I don't believe this is heresy. How's that for an introduction to a truth? I think you might stone me for this, but I still think it's true. I think that the word of God spoken, the word of God written, the word of God um, understood is secondary to the word of God fleshed out and lived. So why did, why did Jesus have to take on flesh? Because words were insufficient at some point. The laws of Moses fell short. We needed something else besides thou shalt and thou shalt not. We needed someone to do it and show us. I mean, guys, sometimes you don't need shouts and shalt nots. You need shows. We need someone to show us, to live it in front of us, to show us what perfect theology looks like in a person's life, not just in a perfect book. Romans chapter 12, verses, you know, verse 2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, the, the world doesn't, and I, boy, help me say this the right way. Don't be offended, and don't think that I'm saying something I'm not. Like, please, God, teach us what I'm trying to say. Help me to say it well. We need more people to do what Scripture commands us to do then we need more people to tell everybody what they're doing is wrong according to Scripture. Does that make sense? If you were to ask the average pagan, what do Christians do, not do, believe, not believe, you know their answers are completely wrong according to what Jesus has commanded us to do. And you can blame media, and you can blame movies, you can blame superstar Christians that fell. And you, you, but in the end, don't you think that since there's like, I don't know, 70 million of us, out of the 350 million people like living in the United States, doesn't it make sense that if 70 million of us were light and salt, we'd be a little bit brighter? We'd be a little bit tastier? Right? And then that doesn't, so let's protest to make sure the media, like, I, I know what to say to that, so I'm not going to say anything. I just know this. Transformed people transform people. People who are transformed have something to give away. People who are not transformed if they believe morality in that third narrative that's not true really is true and they're and they're saying well you know those people who are worse than i am and those people that and they do that to speak i would never do that and I, you know like like we, we go after people for what they did as we gossip about them in our christian circles how many guys know gossips you know one of those seven things that god hates sometimes even more if you will it's not some of these sins we're mad about aren't isolated by god as the seven things i detest we do one of the seven things he detests, complaining about people that do things that, that aren't in that, that really hyper, huge list of stupidity. Now, that's not to condemn you guys. It's not. I'm just saying, let, let, let's not worry about everybody else's morality. Let's worry about our intimacy. I want to hear God's voice. I don't think James is really concerned about our appearance. He goes, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. Those who, those who look at their face like they're looking into a mirror and then they go away and they immediately forget what they look like. Can I say, if I understand what he's saying, that mirror is not a mirror, that mirror is scripture. And when we look into scripture, it reflects who Jesus says we are. You still here? I'm not looking in a mirror to see my face. I'm looking at scripture to see his. Who do you say that I am? Who, who am I supposed to love? What am I supposed to do? You've dealt with my past, and I'm so grateful for that. Most of us could say that. When I look to the future, I, I need something more than just a God who erases my past every morning when I get up. I need a God who writes my future. I don't, I'm, I'm thankful for the dealing of my history. I need a God that's going to empower my destiny. I need more. 
Christianity that stops at morality will always end empty. You're supposed to be taking ground, and the first ground you got to take is right here. Amen? It's right here. I don't think James is concerned about the appearance of our face in the mirror. I think he's concerned about when we look at the Word and we walk away and we still think we're us. We're supposed to look in the Word and walk away and saying, whatever doesn't look like Jesus is getting wrestled today. Whatever doesn't look like what Paul taught me to look like to glorify God, it's going to get wrestled today. I'm going to go one match after another. I'm going to make it tap out or I'm going to tap out. But I'm not going to go along ignoring because now I have cognitive dissonance. I know what the Bible says. I haven't gotten around to changing my life. So we walk in this, but I'll be good where I can be good. And I'll help God with his grace. You see what I'm saying? Are you guys getting this at all? Three. A little disturbing. Okay. You see, when we see Jesus, then we represent, not represent. We're not his representative, except for morality. We represent who he is. They will be blessed guys all right some people said that's kind of complicated can you dumb it down yeah just read wrestle reflect respond is that good figure out the chinese characters tattoo that on your arm how cool would that be water wind what is the chinese character for wrestle i don't even want to know don't make eye contact it's a weird moment okay So let's ask two questions and we'll close. Your past. If it's not under the blood, it doesn't make sense. If it's not dealt with, if it's not forgiven, if it's not reconciled, you may not need to start working on the future. Maybe today you need to start working on the past. Where's the greatest moment of confusion concerning you and God? Where's the greatest place where you felt like he was a million miles away? What's the one thing that keeps you from trusting him in the future because you haven't found the resolution for it in the past? And maybe you need to sit down and talk to somebody. Maybe you need to take a, a sozo session. Maybe you need to get in the Word. Maybe it's you and the Holy Spirit. Maybe I don't, I don't know, but I know this. If you ignore it, you're teaching your brain something that's damaging it. I can't trust God. I'm all alone. My future is uncertain. I live in anxiety because I'm an orphan. Even though I'm adopted, I'm, I'm really not. I, I know Pastor Jim says I am, but I don't know who I am in Christ. If looking backwards to give it all to him, everything. You, matter of fact, when I gave it all to God, I didn't know why things happened. Can I tell you something neat about faith? Is it, it's kind of a piece that passes my understanding. If you tried to give it to God and it's still there, then maybe it's time to talk to somebody about it. And there'll be altar workers who pray with you and talk to you about it. There's scriptures you need to memorize. There's exercise you need to do every day. That we'll get you free because the Son came to set you free. I'm going to say, we'll get you free. We'll lead you to the one that's going to get you free. I promise you. Like, if you, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've tried. I've done it. I went to the program. I did the 12. I, I, I know that. But I'm, I'm not talking about steps of man. I'm talking about one step to God. It's completely different. And I'm all for 12 steps. I am. But the first step's the most important. I'm nuts, and I need something bigger than me. That bigger than you is Jesus and nothing else. Bigger than you, bigger than everything. So if you're still dealing with these roadblocks that are keeping you from trusting God in the future, today, I promise you, there's a continuity of narrative where God redeems your entire story. Why your dad, what he did to you. Why your mom didn't do what she didn't do for you. Why the uncle, the brother, the, why the boss, why the coach, why all of that stuff. In the past. I promise you there's reasons even for that. But maybe instead of understanding everything, we can just understand one thing. Jesus died to take away all my yesterdays. 
And as I move forward, maybe some of that will come up to help other people. But it'll be resolved in one decision. Either God is greater than what's happened to me and he loves me more than people have hated me. Either he can heal me more than my hurts. Either he is bigger or he's not. Those are the one or the other narrative. Those are the only choices you have. If you choose his grace, his love, his forgiveness, if you choose his reconciliation, if you choose his adoption, everything changes. And if you don't, everything stays the same and it's up to you. They're both true. You reject God, then you've rejected God. You accept God, then you've accepted God. Choose, but don't blend. I trust God here, but not there. I trust him, but not there. I, he forgave me here, but not here. The one thing I did was so much bigger than he is. No, choose narrative one and deal with it. Choose narrative two and suffer from it. But there is no narrative three. It's cognitive dissonance. Doesn't make sense. And then as you do that, maybe you could look towards the future today and say, what I'm anxious about, you know, has God ever failed me in the past? Well, then why am I afraid of him failing me in the future? Have I ever missed a meal in my life? Listen, when I was homeless, living in my car, I still ate out of garbage cans. You say, well, that's disgusting. Not when you're hungry. It's really kind of a blessing. I found, I found like eight pieces of boiled chicken in a garbage bag that was just put in there. Now you say, that's, oh, you went out of a garbage can? I, and don't, don't look at me that way. Think, I'm homeless, but don't think like living on the street. I'm Tom Sawyer. I'm Huckleberry Finn. I'm having a blast. So you're like, oh, you poor kids. Like, well, you didn't get me anything for my 24th anniversary. Why well, should I expect you to love me now? You know, I, I'm kidding. Wow, nobody laughed. That was a joke. Total joke. Total joke. But when you find eight pieces of chicken breast full of protein and you eat it, I don't know if you believe in God or not, but that's a blessing. Right? I've never missed a meal. And let's just be honest. Never mind. I don't think you have either. Let's just put it that way. I, I, that was a fun laugh. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Come on, close your eyes. Father, we're going to trust you in our past and we're going to trust you in our future. We're going to wrestle with your word until we tap out. We're going to believe. We're going we're to say the things that we don't believe. We're not going to believe it until we wrestle with it, God. And we pray you'll win every one of those matches. If we're looking at our past saying, God could never forgive me for that. Well, that's believing a lie. It's a, it's a narrative, but it's the wrong one. If we're looking at our future and saying, God's not waiting for me, it's a narrative, but it's the wrong one. It's raised itself up against the knowledge of God, and so we take it captive. And according to the word of God, we make it obedient to Christ. Have your way now, Father, in everything. Help us to resolve the conflicts. There's a way out. There's a way out. There's a way out. There's a way through. There's a way over. Nothing is impossible. My God is greater than anything in my past. He's greater than anything I'm going to face in my future. So I hold on with nothing more than faith because nothing greater than faith is needed. I trust you. We trust you. Can you do that right now? Just tell them. With your past, your future, or both, just say, I trust you. Come on. I trust you. And we seal it with those words, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand your feet, please, all over this room. Next week, we're going to do something kind of cool. We're going to put everything together. We're going to just talk to some people, maybe just one, but to people, I think, that have been through this process and used to be, but now are, they're going to explain to you the different steps in their life. We're going to ask them questions. You're going to ask them questions. How did you, when did you know, when did this, when did it become natural? How did you ever get through? Do you ever today still feel like, like all those things that you're thinking about in your own life? There's, there's a power to the, to the blood of the lamb, but there's a power to the word of our testimony as well. So next week we're going to take it one step farther. Then we're going to start our Easter series with one of the greatest stories of mercy you will ever hear in your life. Man, he was filleted in his own home, gutted, intestines on the ground. I mean, a terrible story. That guy was robbing him for drug money. He's a pastor in Detroit. He's going to be here sharing his story 
What's that? Not next week, but the week after. Kevin Ramsby. Uh, awesome. Incredible. He spoke to our men's ministry. Guys, you remember what I'm talking about? About three months ago. That was last October. Blew us away. The mercy of God, all the stuff we've been talking about, putting it all together as we head into Easter, understanding God's mercy and our mercy. Um, there are some really good days ahead of us. So, Father, I pray, bless your church. Let us know you more, God. Help us to never, 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 never compromise what you have said. We're going to wrestle with it until it's true. Until it's true, we're not done wrestling. Speak to our hearts and lead us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Altar workers, should make your way to the front. If you need prayer, go forward. They'd love to talk to you. If you're looking to get better engaged in the church, head back to the guest room. There's some people waiting for you there to help you connect.